what really gets my dick hard is Hey, this is Michael Wagner, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. podcast this is clint wells obviously things are a little bit different this week uh our friend my co-host uh ethan luck cannot be here today um it's bound to happen we're both on tour i'm in kentucky right now he's in chicago and uh just because of what life's like on a bus and getting into venues and sound checks and wi-fi and hotels we weren't able to make it work we were going to do 1986 had all the notes prepared um but we just we just sort of got stuck today so Instead of not having any content for you beautiful people out there whom we love so much, um, I decided to, I'm going to do part one of what we're going to call Metal Up Your Podcast Radio. And what that's going to look like for this episode is I picked 10 of my favorite deep cuts. Probably songs you guys don't listen to as much, or maybe you do, I don't know. They're some of my favorites. They don't get a lot of love. And uh, I'm just going to play them in their entirety and maybe talk a little bit about why I like them. And uh, I'm going to listen to it with you guys. It's going to be all burned down together. So that's what this episode's going to be. Hope you dig it. So first of all, if you are joining us, we're an all-Metallica podcast. And usually what happens is on Mondays, Ethan and I uh, drop an episode where we talk about Metallica, ranging from the records, songs, deep cuts, tours. We've got a gear episode coming up that's going to be fun. Uh, we review, review their DVDs. We talk about um, the current news. It's an all-Metallica podcast. And... Uh, when Ethan and I met a few years ago, our mutual friends Paul Moak and Matthew Mayfield, the whole um, the whole premise of our meeting was that we were two huge Metallica fans, obviously a lot of mutual friends, and the first thing I said to us was, you guys just start talking about Metallica. And we decided about a year and a half ago to start recording those conversations. And uh, that's what you're going to listen to now, except minus Ethan, of course. But speaking of the road, let me do a little bit of housekeeping uh, before we get into these tunes. Um... I'm going to be touring out on the West Coast for the next two weeks. So if any of you are in any of these cities, I'm going to name them here, and would like to come to a show, or if we have time to meet up and get a beer and talk Metallica and say hi, uh, I'm always open to that. I've done that on previous tours. Ethan does that on his tours. Um, Here are the dates. Um, I'm going to be in San Diego on the 17th, Bakersfield at the Buck Owens, Crystal Palace on the 18th, one of my favorite venues in the whole country, Uh, San Bernardino on the 19th, on the 20th and 21st, I'm going to be hunkered down in Los Angeles, uh, writing with folks, writing with other songwriters. 
I'm in Petaluma on the 22nd, Redwood City on the 23rd, Folsom, California on the 24th, Redding, California on the 25th, and Modesto, California on the 26th. So I'll just put that out there for you guys. What that usually looks like is I can definitely get you tickets to the show. And then um, if there's time, you can come hang out on the bus and have a beer with me, or we can go to a bar nearby or something. But um, I'm always open to meeting Melope Podcast community folk out there in the real world. Ooh, yeah! Metallica News. The boys, amazingly, um, well, I'll get to that in a second. They did just complete their European arena tour, so congrats to them. I know that they're ready to go home. Uh, they played 39 shows in 29 cities in front of 650,000 fans. Attendance records were broken 29 times on the tour. And in many cases, they were playing like night twos, like a night two in Paris. They would break the record on night one, and then the record that they set for night one, they would break on night two, two days later. So that's exciting. And as if that isn't cool enough, they announced a European stadium tour. May 2019 through August 2019. And the, apparently the official announcement uh, with all the dates and venues is happening in September. But this was simply an announcement of the announcement. I guess that's the world we live in today. Of course, the North American Arena Tour uh, starts in September through March of 2019. Several of you we know are going. Several of you bought the coveted black tickets and are going to go to as many of those motherfuckers as possible. I'm quite jealous Ethan and I are uh, we're doing Nashville, Birmingham, Louisville, Albany, and Cincinnati. The night before the Nashville show, we're throwing a big Metal Up Your Podcast party. So for those of you who are trying to figure out where to go, if you're making travel plans, try to come to that one. It's going to be fun. Um, let's see. We all know they announced their headlining one night each, both weekends at the Austin City Limits Festival, October 5th through 7th and 12th through 14th, which is cool because they're kind of co-headlining it with like Paul McCartney and shit, which... Some have posited that maybe uh, maybe old Sir McCartney might come out for a tune or something. Like, what if they did Helter Skelter or something with Paul McCartney? How amazing would that be? Um, last little bit of news here. May 23rd coming up is the Metallica Fans Day of Service. And what that is, is through their charitable arm, All Within My Hands Foundation, um, you can volunteer to food bank in every city that they played on the uh, North American Stadium Tour last year. And help you know feed the poor in your local community. So you can go to allwithinmyhands.org for more info on that. Uh, very very cool shit that the boys are cooking up with how they're helping people everywhere they go. You know how can we how can we help people? How can we use our platform to ease suffering and bring awareness to issues we care about? It's very very cool. Another one of my favorite bands, Pearl Jam. They all have their own charitable foundations, and it's just it's inspiring. Um. We have a thing called Patreon. It's a way for people to support the show. We do this for free, and um, we make time out of our day jobs and our families to, to uh, try to put this together and to try to make it as kick-ass as possible. And uh, people pretty early on wanted to figure out ways that they could donate money to the show to support the show. So we hooked up with this thing called Patreon. It's a website where we have little incentives for if you donate this much, you get whatever. Um, you're going to hear about that a little later, but the bare minimum that we do is we say thank you and give a shout out on the show. This week, our patrons are Clint Lee Daniel and Rakesh Gopal- Gopalan. Gopalan. Uh, so I just want to say thanks to those guys. You can go check out Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash Metal Up Your Podcast. Or maybe it's a forward slash. I honestly don't know. Um, we're on all the socials. We've been having a lot of fun on Instagram. 
doing these Instagram lives and doing them from the buses and from hotel rooms and stuff. We're on Twitter and Facebook, Spotify, YouTube, all the stuff that um, we're all addicted to. All the terrible things that make us unhappy in which we compare what we know about ourselves to what we don't know about other people. And even though we know that everyone's lying on social media about how great their lives are, we still believe it and we, we fall into a spiral of shame and depression. And, but because we're addicted to it, we keep going. And that's, you can find all sorts of Metal Up Your Podcast stuff at those wonderful, wonderful, evil, demonic places. And we have a website, metalupyourpodcast.com, in which, amongst other things, you can buy t-shirts. Now, what the t-shirts do is they look cool, they're comfortable to wear, they announce to the world that your taste in podcasts is uh, superior, and they help support the show. They're 15 bucks, and we've already bought them all, so, you know, any, any profit we get from those just goes right back into the show. So, good God. Okay, I think I'm done with this part. I'm definitely missing my friend Ethan Luck here. Uh, sitting in this hotel room. Someone help me, or please God help me! One of the coolest things that's happened from the podcast is we have sort of cultivated a a thriving and very cool community of listeners of the show, fans of Metallica. And you guys write in emails to us every week. They're more than we can uh, read on the show. Um, we try to pick anywhere from 5 to 10 to sort of check in with everybody. And that's what we're going to do now. So please, take a... Take a trip with me over to the email corner. Okay, first up, from our friend Tim Rasmussen. Hi, Clint and Ethan. Hope you guys are doing well. Still riffing out the podcast, and good stuff, too. I just discovered a podcast called Your Favorite Band Sucks, and I think you'll dig it. It's a comedy podcast, which is pretty good for music lovers, musicians alike. Even as a fan of Slayer, Tool, and Kiss, it's pretty funny and fair play when they shit on some of the aspects of the bands and their, and their fans. And he says, it's all set from the place of being fans, too, in some episodes. You'll see what I mean. Anyway, hope you enjoy it and don't get too butthurt if they rip into Kiss and Tool too hard, Clint, because your favorite band sucks. Well, um, seeing as how our friend Ethan Luck is like the Kevin Bacon of the music industry... Um, he knows those guys, or like one of the guys that does it's his friend. So he told me about it back in January. And I was uh, traveling with my wife down to the um, the 38th Songwriters Festival. And uh, I dipped into it. I listened to the Tool one and the Beatles one. And I must say, I did get butt hurt. And it, and it made me mad. Um, because the ones that I listened to... They didn't sound like they were fans. They actually kind of sounded like they didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. I don't remember if it was Tool or Kiss or the Beatles, but, you know, and my thing, too, is, like, I'm a cynical dude. I like comedy. I like um, I like the idea of comedy pushing the boundaries of what's offensive and all that stuff. Anyone who knows me privately knows that I'm not a delicate snowflake in these matters. But here's what bothered me about it is I know how hard it is to make a podcast and how much time it takes and and how much you have to care and sacrifice to do it. And what I just really can't imagine is putting all of that energy into, even if it's playful, into being hateful about art. 
I know that if you're rolling your eyes, I understand. I'm partly rolling my eyes at myself, too. But that is how I felt. I just thought, you know, I don't have a lot of free time, and I'm not going to spend it listening to these two assholes. The whole premise is we think you're th- the thing you like sucks. Like, I just... Does the world need it? Does it? Do you? What the world needs now is your favorite band sucks. Anyway, um, I guess for those of you who that sounds like a fun time to hear two douchebags talk about how much uh, your favorite band sucks, go check it out. It's called Your Favorite Band Sucks. Our next email is from Colton Brazier. Hey, guys, great show the other day. In my opinion, the Metal Hammer Festival show that Metallica played in 85 is one of their best performances of all time. I find myself watching that one on YouTube quite often. Such a tight performance with so much excitement for their new material. Also, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of the Dave to the Future <laughs> bits. Haha, I bust up every time I hear Dave say something like, Nobody calls me chicken. He says, Thank you both for the great content. All the best, Colton. Well, thanks, Colton. I agree with you about that Metal Hammer show. And what's so cool about it is that we don't have a lot of like video, audio footage of, of 85. So that does, it is a special show. They debut Disposable Heroes. They're tight. They're excited. They're not quite yet the huge thing they were going to become. It's, it's, a, it's a fun time. Uh, appreciate the email, homie. Clint Daniel. Now, I love when people named Clint write in because there just aren't that many of us, folks. And I have often said, I think we should all get together once a year and form an intramural volleyball team. But I digress. Clint Daniel, who is also a new patron, by the way, says, I'm finally pledging after being on the ride since episode one. Y'all need to get on that live Grimies episode. Hopefully this bribe helps push you in the right direction. Keep up the good work. Clint. Well, that's kind of, again, the, the Kevin Bacon of uh, Metallica podcasts and the music scene in Nashville. Um, that's kind of Ethan's deal. Ethan, I know Grimy and uh, the other dude that helped put the show on, but not as well as Ethan. So hopefully Ethan will listen to this and he can uh, lube up that relationship so we can get on it. I don't think we're going to do a live episode, though. Live episodes are rarely good. Um, but I think what we will do is do an interview. You know, and we'll hear all about it and the behind the scenes and how, how, who talked to who. And we'll try to even get some info on like what the money situation was. Did they have a guarantee? Did they do it for free? I mean, that's all shit I want to know too as a fan. And uh, seeing as how we have special access to Grammy, that's going to be an exciting episode for sure. And it's coming up. I promise. Oliver writes, What is up, brothers? I just discovered the podcast about a week ago and I'm so hooked. I found it because I just bought a Justice Final, the best album of all time. So anyway, I just wanted to know opinions of the albums online, and I decided to listen to the podcast. Been binge-watching all the episodes since then. Keep it up. Well, Oliver, as you can hear clearly now, we are doing that. And we're grateful that you're hopped on. That you're hopped up on the ride with us, Ollie. Can I call you Ollie? I have a dear friend in Austin, Texas, who plays with me in Bob Schneider's band, and uh, we call him Ollie, even though his Christian name is, in fact, Oliver. We've got a few more of these here. Next up, Ruth Silva says, It's been rolling around the internet this week about a Cliff documentary about his life and legacy called The Salvation Kingdom. Narrated by his sister Connie Burton and Simon Woodstock, the whole thing is on YouTube. Yes, I have been made aware of it, and the... I guess the consensus is that it's 
it's a bit strange that there's some very insightful stuff about Cliff and footage that has not been seen before, which I find uh, titillating and tantalizing. But I've also heard that it's oddly religious and that um, maybe even exploitative. I mean, the fact that it's called the Salvation Kingdom um, is a little yucky to me. Um, but needs to say, I will be watching it, and maybe we'll do an episode on it. I don't know, but it, you know, the thing is, if it's something that is a, is more on the exploitative side, I don't want to draw any more attention to it. See what I mean? So, um, you know, much love and respect to the Burtons, to his sister. Uh, th- there's no ill will or anything, but I just I don't know. I don't know. I've been kind of keeping it at arm's length, um, but we'll see. Ruth goes on to say, "P.S. Speaking of your covers EP, it's very cool to follow the ideas." Listen to the reasons why each of you chose your songs and how you gave them a new vision. It's very interesting. Thanks for the cover of Low Man's Lyric. I've been listening on loop since I heard the episode. Be cool, guys. Ruth Silva, Sao Paulo, Brazil, New Jersey. I'm really glad she likes Low Man's Lyric. That's probably, now that I have some distance from the EP, if I had to choose the the least good song on it, I would probably choose that one. And... um because I, I just love the song so much, and I ended up just kind of like just doing it almost exactly the way it is on the record. So, um, always good to hear from Ruth and any of the Metal Up Your Podcast ladies. Christian Norwegian Herring uh, Anderson writes Hey, dudes, sort of a new listener and first time writing to you. Went to see Metallica in Oslo last week, my 10th show. So, that's a nice milestone. And how can you get hyped to the show other than listening to your podcast? The train ride took around nine hours each way, and I had a lot of time to kill. Holy shit, dude. He says, my sincere apologies to those sitting close to me for me laughing out loud, especially to the podcast around St. Anger and some kind of monster. I was also listening to your thoughts about the shows you went to see. He's talking about, um, we did an episode on the Philly show last year, the St. Louis show, in which I was in the snake pit with my friend Brad. And, uh, and then we all, and with Paul Moak, which we got to have Paul back on the show soon. I was thinking about that the other day. And in a non-weird way, I was thinking about it in the shower. <laughs> I was naked in the shower, bathing, probably even sobbing, and it just popped into my head. Like, we haven't had Paul Moak on in a while. But we did, a, uh, Paul went with us to the Detroit show, and so that's what the episodes he's referring to. He says, a quick shout-out to the support band Clvertak. I'm definitely not saying that right. For rocking the house in front of their fellow Norwegians. Someone in the crew might be listening to your show because the first song over the PA after Kilvertek did their set with Sweating Bullets. Had to laugh at that one. Many thanks to you for giving so much content and with a consistency nobody can beat. Wow. Um, thanks, Christian. Very sweet of you, dude. Uh, congrats on your 10th show in Oslo. Some of um, some of my friends were at that show, both of those shows. They know who they are. And uh, the set list looked bitchin'. I mean, the, the thing about this rotating slot situation is that you really want to be able to go to at least two shows. Preferably back-to-back, because obviously you're going to get, what, eight different songs? Or, yeah, because there's like four or five rotating slots, whatever. I'm not going to look it up. I don't care if I don't get that right. Whoever knows that, they're smarter than me. They're bigger fans than me. Uh, Thanks, Christian. Our next email comes from Kurt Meglin. Hey, gentlemen. Love the show and the year in the life of Metallica series is great. I have a dumb question. I was listening to an older recording with the headphones and it had some cool effects with the left to right and right to left sound dynamics, which that's called panning, by the way. He says, I have always wondered 
at what step does an artist decide to do that and who actually does it? I've always thought it was probably the producer, and he writes, Paul? Or engineer? I'm not a musician, so I was curious. Thanks again, and take care and stay safe out on the road. Cheers and church giggles, Kurt. Well, it's definitely not the engineer. What an engineer does is they, they, um, they're the ones who run microphones. They place microphones. They, a good engineer has a, a wealth of knowledge about the gear and the technique of miking drums, miking amps, because it's all very sophisticated. And, you know, do you put two overheads over the, over the, um, the two cymbals left and right? Or do you close mic the kick drum? Do you, do you put a room mic in there? Do you just put them all in there and then you record them all and then you can kind of like pick and choose what you want? It depends on the band. It depends on the sound. If the band is pl- if the drummer's playing a vintage, um, you know, Rogers kit, you might want to use a different kind of microphone than if they're playing a more modern Yamaha kit. Now, that's what engineers specialize in. Oh, it's a female singer in this range and she's singing a song uh, with um, that's extremely low in the verses and very high in the choruses. It's a highly dynamic song. You might choose a different microphone for that. Again, that's the engineer. Or an engineer knows all about the outboard gear. Oh, with this with James Hetfield, because he's a rock singer, we need to use an 1176 compressor because that's more suited for rock music. Or, you know, we want to use an LA-2 compressor, which is a different great compressor. All those types of things. Which preamps do we want to use? Do we want to use the SSL board? Do we want to use the APIs? For the guitars, that's all engineering. And, and producer. Producers are usually engineers who graduated up to being producers. So anyway, deciding, deciding panning wouldn't be one of those cats. Um, it, it's, it depends. It's probably the artist and producer together saying, we're going to go for this sound, let's do this. It would largely be the producer doing it. Because you might record a song, and then once that producer uh, starts getting in there and kind of figuring out what to send to mix, he might start making creative decisions in that way. And then it's also possible that the mixer takes his own liberty and does it. When I send songs to get mixed as a producer, and um, I don't know what Paul would say to this because I think Paul does mix a lot of what he produces, but I send my shit out because I need fresh years to deal with the material. I just spent a million years recording it and listening to it over and over, and I'm going to go insane if I hear it one more time. So I send it out to a dude, but what I do is I send notes that say, you know, this is guitar left and guitar right, where, where I my panning notes are clear from the top. Now, sometimes, because I'm not a mixer, a professional mixer will get my notes and kind of be like, yeah, 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 whatever. Let me just do, let me do what I do. And I'll get a mix back that's panned all sorts of different ways that make it better. So it all comes down to just preference, um, you know, creative input all across the board from the artist all the way to the mixer. Because there's all sorts of tricks. Like, it's like you said, listening with headphones, you, you're saying all these cool effects and dynamics. There's things you know how to make work that way. And that's why I think listening with headphones, if you can really find the time to your favorite records, is really valuable. And you can learn a lot. Of, you're going to hear shit that you never heard before. I listen to my record player with headphones. And this new Sgt. Pepper that's been remastered, and I think even remixed, just came out. And I'm listening to, I'm hearing horn parts in Sgt. Pepper that I've never heard before. All right. Now that's, that's some exciting stuff. So anyway, I hope that answered your question. Thank you for the email. David Bill uh, writes, hi, Clint Ethan. As I'm listening to the 1985 podcast, you're reading emails and discussing James as one of the best rhythm players to exist. I find this interesting since I just listened to one of, uh, since I just listened to another podcast recently with Jerry Cantrell. 
Jerry said Sick Man, which is a song from their record Dirt, was his attempt to be a fast down picker like Hetfield. It's so difficult for him, they don't ever play it live. Jerry agreed with the host calling Hetfield a god, and Jerry regards James as one of the two greatest rhythm players of all time, the other being Malcolm Young. Well, I, I definitely agree with that. And, and the Malcolm Young part, too. Malcolm Young was such a special guitar player, um, a special underrated guitar player who was the anchor of Pound for Pound, one of the greatest rock and roll bands to ever fucking exist. Angus Young was once asked, who is your favorite guitar player? And his answer was Malcolm Young. Now, Jerry Cantrell is one of my favorite guitar players. I love that. Um, I love his praise for James. I agree with him. I know him and James are pals. Um, and Jerry Cantrell himself is an underrated, amazing guitar player. I will say Sick Man's not one of my favorite tunes. And maybe they don't play it because it's hard to play. And maybe they don't play it because maybe it's a turd. I don't know. And I say that as a pretty big Alice in Chains fan. David goes on to say, This reminds me of the question for you guys. You've talked about Alice in Chains several times on the show, and I know you're big fans, but I'm trying to remember some of the comparisons you've made between the two bands. For example, when you compared Primal Concrete Sledge to Phantom Lord or Fade to Black to parts of Black Sabbath and National Acrobat. I'm not a musician, so I don't easily hear these connections, but these comparisons interest me. What Metallica songs sound like or are influenced by Alice or vice versa? Thanks. Um, well, I think Facelift... Alice's first record, which is really their only straight-up metal record, is heavily influenced by um, Master of Puppets and Justice. I think in terms of Metallica, it's pretty clear to me that in the Load era, um, like what, I think what became interesting melodically in re and in regards to vocal harmonies during Load and Reload was a product of James listening to Alice in Chains, particularly Dirt and Jar of Flies. Um, and even beyond that, the more introspective lyrics about like drug addiction, um, which on the Alice side would be Junkhead, Angry Chair, but then you've got James singing Fuel, Low Man's Lyric, uh, Family Issues with Jerry Cantrell wrote Rooster about his dad in Vietnam, and then you've got James writing about Mama Said and Fixer, and then you know themes of death, Rain When I Die, The Outlaw Torn. Uh, in the vocal harmony department, they're pretty clear parallels to Alice in Chains and um, some examples would be House of Jack Built, Thorn Within, Till It Sleeps, Where the Wild Things Are. It's got a sort of doomy, creepy harmonies and looking deep inside and dark subject matter. That, that would be all kind of general examples. I don't agree with the people who say that Load and Reload was Metallica trying to copy what was trendy. I just don't think they do that. Um, I think that's a, a shorthand criticism that doesn't doesn't really hold up when you investigate it they've always done what they wanted to do and the fact is that James what James was listening to and he was also listening to a lot of corrosion of conformity and that's all in those records too and fuck I do that when I what you know when I first got into that Lana Del Rey record ultra violence that's what I was writing it just comes through when I got into Courtney Barnett uh I was writing a lot of songs that basically just sounded like Courtney Barnett and that's, that's just what happens. You know, you kind of put out what you feed into yourself. So anyway, uh, I hope that was helpful. Okay, we got a few more here. Two more. Kelly Hanna says, Hey, brothers, in the Hulk voice, out of respect for Ethan, I won't do it because he's not here and I suck at it. She or he says, Thanks for doing this podcast. I've been listening for about a month. I got tickets for the show here in Kansas City next year and can't wait. 
This will be my third show, first since the Load Tour, so it's been a long time. I'm a huge podcast listener and was so excited that I started searching for Metallica in the app and found you guys. When I was 12, my friend gave me a cassette copy of Lightning and said, you gotta check this shit out. So my intro to the boys was Fight Fire with Fire. Being into bands on the radio like Def Leppard, hearing this blew me away and I've been hooked ever since. Good God, I believe that. I had to hide it from my dad because I wasn't sure he'd let me listen to something like this. It was amazing, kind of like a small club, as only a few of us at my school knew about them at the time. As it turns out, several years later, I realized my parents were into them as well and wound up taking me to a show themselves. It was surreal watching my dad bang his head to sad but true with about 10,000 other metalheads. Definitely an experience I'll never forget. Last time I saw them was when they played Lollapalooza in Des Moines. Someone threw something at Jason and hit him in the face during puppets. And they had to stop the show for a few minutes. I'll never forget, Jason went backstage for about five minutes while James and the boys ripped into an improv thing. He came back out with a cut on his forehead, called the guy a fucking asshole, and finished the show. Badasses, every one of them. It is a low scumbag piece of shit who will throw something at a fucking band. You know, there's this thing that went viral on YouTube where people were throwing rocks at Nickelback. Now, I don't have any Nickelback records. I think Chad Kroger is a good songwriter. Um, I have privately wept to the song Photograph on more than one occasion, as I've famously confessed here. I like the song, uh, uh, I like maybe five of their songs, okay? Now, are they a great band? No. Will I ever buy a Nickelback record? No. But do I want anyone throwing rocks at them while they're trying to perform songs for you? No. Oh my God. If I was a violent type, I'd beat the shit out of that person. And I hope someone did. I really do hope someone did. Imagine that. You're on stage playing music, serving the people. And someone throws something and it hits you in the goddamn face and your face is bleeding and you still come out and finish the show. It's just, it's just not cool, man. Anyway, he or she goes on to say, I'm sorry, Kelly, I don't know, I don't know your gender and I don't want to assume it. Uh, anyway, thanks for doing what you do. It's cool to hear new perspectives on old favorites as well as learn things about the band I never knew before. If you can make the Kansas City show, let me know and I'll buy you a beer or three. Well, that's not off the table. Um, that's close enough to where if I'm available, I might just hop up there and go. Maybe you could do an episode on when the boys toured with Lollapalooza. I remember a lot of people were questioning the baddest band in the land on the bill with all these uh, alternative acts. Later, guys, keep it up. Kelly. Yeah, that, I remember that was a pretty big deal that they were doing Lollapalooza. Um, it makes sense to me, but I don't have the butthurt early stuff that a lot of OG trues had. So, um, yeah, that'd be an interesting episode for sure. Thanks for the suggestion. Our last email, thank God, I know, I know, guys. I'm sorry. Our last email is from Tommy Trinkeller. Hey, Clint Ethan. Sorry to start up on a low note, but the last couple of months have been horrible for me. My dog's been in the hospital twice. I had to miss my grandmother's funeral because of school. My mom just started chemo two weeks ago, and on top of all that, college has been kicking my ass lately. Uh, I just wanted to say thanks to you guys, your show and your covers EP, which I don't have the words to describe how great the covers are. It's one of the few things that can actually distract me from whatever's going on in my life and just enjoy myself for like an hour. Well, needless to say, Tommy, I'm really sorry to hear about your dog. I hope your dog's all right. I'm not sure what's going on there. Um... I know I, I don't have any animals, but I know that how important they are to people. Um, missing your grandmother's funeral, I, I can empathize with that. I missed my grandfather's funeral last year because I, because of my job, and I, I wasn't 
able to, to get home. And uh, it was a pretty big deal because I really liked him a lot. And But, you know, people grieve in their own ways. And I know funerals are really important for closure. But you carry your grandmother with you wherever you go, dude. And, you know, no one can take that away from you. Not being able to physically be present at a funeral can take that away from you. So I hope you find some peace in that. And in terms of your mom starting chemo, um, I'm really sorry to hear that. And I hope that for her, the chemo is successful. And I know it's a bitch. I've had friends go through it and family members go through it. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a dark, horrible thing. And I really am sorry to hear about it. And, you know, like the idea that we have this music, um, that, that we're part of something bigger than ourselves, that you can, you can close your eyes and you can listen to until it sleeps. And for just at least for four minutes, you can be away from, away from it all. And you can, I mean, I consider, I mean, this sounds fucking stupid, but I, I mean it. I consider the members of Metallica my friends because they have been the voices through my life. Uh, for my whole life and I've listened in joy I've listened in fear and pain I've listened out of hopelessness and depression and they, they're my friends who helped me I feel the same way about Kiss and the Beatles and they're like they're like my superhero friends and even though I'm not going through what you're going through here specifically um, everyone's dealing with pain and shit and life's hard for many of us and being able to sort of share in the music in that way is the thread we're all tracing together. So hang in there, dude. You'll be all right. Thanks for sharing that with us. He says, on a lighter note, where the hell is Samim? Seems like I haven't heard the letters from Samim Jingle in ages. Is he, she, okay, alive, still listening to the show? Um, I don't know where Samim is. Uh, Samim, if you're out there, send us another letter so we can see what's going on and we can get updated on you. Last time he, um, he or she wrote in, he said he'd been going through some stuff. Um, he's over in Turkey. And so I'm not sure, but also uh, just want to send love out to Samim. He says, if either of you find yourself in Los Angeles, New Jersey, naturally, you can add me to the ever-expanding list of folks who'll buy you a beer. Keep zoning it. Tom Trinkeller. P.S. Ethan's super stoked for your new album. P.S. Clint. Absolutely love the Where the Wild Things Are cover. Your voice suits it well. You do a good job of capturing the creepiness inherent in the track while still giving it a good old Clint feel. Stoked for the rest of Cover Our World Black in Volume 2. Uh, thank you, Tom. Really appreciate that, dude. That's encouraging. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was the goddamn emails. Hey, this is Ethan and Clint from Metal Up Your Podcast, and we want to talk to you about something we love called Patreon. That's right. Patreon is a way for fans of the show to give back to the show to donate money that uh, helps us in quality and content. And not only that, but we've actually come up with all sorts of fun incentives to give back to you for supporting the show. Exactly. For instance, if you donate $5 or more, you get access to Cover Our World Blackened, which is the official Metal Up Your Podcast Metallica cover EP. That's right, and that's the only way to get it. In addition to the EP, we also give you priority email access, meaning we'll read your email first on the show. We give you early access to Patreon-exclusive merchandise, Patreon-exclusive giveaways, and any other side projects Ethan and I might be involved in. There's all sorts of things you can look at on there and you can donate to. Go check it out. Patreon.com slash Metal Up Your Podcast. How do you spell that, Clint? P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Metal Up Your Podcast. And if you really think about it, $5 a month for an entire year, that's really just like a cup of coffee a month. So go check it out. Thanks, everyone. Peace. Adios. All right. Well, I have talked enough. And um, 
I think it's time for us to, to dig into some tracks. Now, we're gonna, this is going to be like a radio channel. We're going we're gonna to listen to these songs. We're going to burn them down. Hope you enjoy the selection. Maybe some of these are your favorite songs. I don't know. We'll talk a little bit about them after each song. But for now, let's just go ahead and jump right on into one of my favorites. This is The Thorn Within.
like that part. I am the thorn within. Wow. That's some heavy stuff. What's he talking about? I am the secret. I am the sin. I am the guilty. I am the thorn within. I'll do your time. I'll take your fall. I'm branded guilty for us all. Heavy, man. Good stuff. I mean, even when I was a kid, I loved that tune. It was always a head scratcher for some of my friends. Um, but it's it's aged really well. I think it's a pretty mature song. And a great example of what we touched on in the emails of, you know, the uh, the hard panning. Load and reload, you guys have heard me talk about it, but, you know, the, there's very distinct personalities of Kirk and James left and right. Um, on that particular tune, Kirk was over in the left channel Kirk, and uh, James in the right. Great solo by Kirk. It sounds like he's playing a strat, which is unusual for him. Uh but a very tasty, tasty note selection on the solo. And I love that that main riff. It sounds like a sex type thing by the Sons of Pilots. And amazingly, they've never played that song live. It bums me out. Because I think it's really good. I think it's good for James's vocal, too. Uh, it is sad that we don't have Jason anymore, because I'd miss all those kind of cool, weird Alice in chains harmonies. All right, moving right along, though. How about a little taste from 1984 with one of my favorite deep cuts of all time, a little song called Escape.
And there you have it, folks. Apparently, the song that they actually tried to write as a radio song, which makes no sense to me. I mean, shit. I think Ride the Lightning is a, has more chance of being a radio song than Escape. Creeping Death had a better chance. To me, Escape sounds like kill, it's very kill em all Seek and destroy ye. Very Iron Maiden y. <laughs> it's one of the rare songs that they have. It's in the key of A instead of the key of E. Goes to that F sharp in the verses. Um, the chorus is uplifting, I guess, but it still sounds kind of metal y and brutal. And that hammered, you know, see them bring the hammer down. It's all low and shit. I love the siren at the end. It's a real shame that uh, they don't like this song. It's played only the one time at the Orion Fest in Atlantic City. When was the date of that? June 23rd, 2012. For those of you who were there, they got to see them play all of Lightning, including this rare gem. Uh, let it be known that I am quite jelly of that. Why don't we take a trip to 2008 with... Um, a song that I dismissed for many, many years. I never didn't like it, but it just never spoke to me until very recently uh, while doing this podcast. And now I think it might be my favorite song on the record. I'm talking about a little barn burner entitled The Judas Kiss.
There it is, the Judas Kiss. That So What Now, Where Go I part is one of the most exciting moments on the whole record to me. And how about that whole breakdown in the middle? Judas lives, recite this vow. That's <laughs> so good. And man, Kirk Hammett just coming out of the gate on this record. Just relentless. This whole record is relentless. All the songs are very complicated. Lots of riffs, great solos. I mean, the Judas Kiss is eight minutes long. But, you know, it's such a fun ride. It doesn't feel long to me when I'm burning it down. It's just super fun. They've played it 30 times. Uh, first played in 2009 in the United Kingdom. Last played in 2010 in New Zealand. This is my New Zealand accent. It's pretty good. It's like all of my other accents. <laughs> and by all of my other accents, I mean it sucks. It's crap. It's shite. Well, moving right along, um, I think this song also doesn't get enough love. Now, it's the song Bob Rock believed should be the lead-off single of the Black Album. I'm talking about a song called Holier Than Thou. One of, the, one of my arguments in defense that the Black Album is indeed a metal record and not the horrific departure some trues believe it to be 
the ace up the sleeve, I feel like, is this song holier than thou? I think that's why Bob wanted to lead off with it. Holier than thou could have been on justice, no problemo. No problemo whatsoever. Now, to spice up this uh, radio listening hour, um, I have chosen the Webster Hall version. They don't play this song much. They they have been playing it recently on the European tour. There's there's kind of a slot that they throw it in with like a Wolf and Man or Through the Never. Um, but this version from the Webster Hall uh, show is amazing. I highly recommend it. I've got it on vinyl. I have several friends that were at the show, which makes me, again, very jelly. Uh, let's dip into the Webster Hall show and hear the boys play Holier Than Thou. Here we go.
him going into battery there at the end. I, I can't recommend that Webster Hall show enough. The whole thing sounds fucking amazing. I think it's the live debut of Moth. Maybe even the live debut of Atlas. Uh, they do Orion. It's great. The version of Fade to Black's great. Bread fan. Uh, great song. Uh, the last, let's see, they've played Holier Than Thou. I think 80 times? 83 times. First uh, in 91. Last they played was in Munich, Germany, April 26th. Uh, a free, I think my friend Dan Kanner was at that show. They also played The Weight in their cover slot. Which, how about that for a treat? Let's see if we have any info on when... Let's see. That was the first time in nearly nine years that The Weight has been performed. That was a treat, man. They, believe it or not, there are people that are still complaining about these goddamn set lists. They, they still do it. Look on the forums. It's unbelievable. One of the biggest bands in the world. And there are people that want them to just <laughs> mix it up every night. Why can't they just mix it up every night? Oh, I don't know. Because they're a massive, massive band with a catalog that destroys most bands. And they have a whole bunch of pyro and uh, video content and floating cubes and drones and a huge operation that they can't just willy-nilly play whatever fucking songs pop into their goddamn heads. Oh, Lord. Why don't people understand? You just can't... You can't please people. It's impossible. Someone said the other day, they're, they're basically playing the same set list. No, they're not. Four rotating slots. Do I wish there was a Death Magnetic song thrown in there? Yes. And my butt hurt about it? No. They played The Weight. They're playing Bread Fan. They're playing A Wolf and Man and Through the Never. They're playing Die My Darling. They're playing Spit Out the Bone at every fucking show. Come on, dudes. Do you? Is it? Are you? Now, speaking of holier than thou, I've always, well, not always. When I was a kid, I didn't know what the fuck that song was about. But here in recent years, I have wondered if that song was about one Mr. David Davidson Mustaine Mustaine. And speaking of old Mustang, uh, he's been doing a little bit of tweeting, which leads us to one of our newest segments. Dave Mustaine reads Dave Mustaine's tweets. Enjoy. Yo, me, meet the real me. I'm Dave Mustaine, and this is Dave Mustaine reads Dave Mustaine's tweets. Hi, hi, David. Uh, it's me, this mini kid. And uh, thank you for sitting down and, and 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 spending some time talking to me. My pleasure. I I read on Twitter that uh, he recently had some trouble at the airport. Five hours later, sitting in the plane now, again waiting for an answer. And the flight attendant comes on the intercom. We've timed out, and the FFA won't let us proceed. Nice story. You need a new flight crew, and we have to leave. Sound fun? Oh, no. Now they just told us, don't have pilots for this plane. At Delta, this is dreadful communication. Then a new Delta flight crew just timed out, and now we sit in LAX until 7.20 p.m. Estimated 2 a.m. arrival. Oh. 
That that sounds like this one time my my dad told me that I could stay up past midnight, but then he wouldn't let me stay up past midnight. I, I, I was a school night. Sounds like you need to tell it to the Reader's Digest. Well, uh, moving right along here, at Christian Bates, Mondo says, Hey, Dave, you're up early, howdy. It's 8 a.m. At Nico Obrio writes, uh, what are you doing here? Can you tell us, or is it only personal things? I'm looking at wine, eating great food, and celebrating life in one of my favorite countries. Um, at Metal Freak 334, hey, that's like me. I- I'm like a-, a metal freak. Uh, he asks, uh, David, what are some of your favorite books you read, uh, during your most difficult times? All kinds. Like when you have homework, dude, but, but you haven't really done, you have you have a project, dude, but you haven't even bought the poster board yet, David. Right now I'm reading I'm Brian Wilson. It's a great book. Uh, okay, last last one. Someone, someone write, Kirk Hammett mm-hmm. is alligator better than Dave Mustaine. Gargling Kirk's second public. Oh, no. Dad! Hello, me. It's me again. I hope you enjoyed my tweet reading. It's my misfits way of life. Nice story. Tell it to the reader's digest. Well, and there you have it, folks. From the from the man himself. Now, I wanted to change gears a little bit with the uh, the radio program. And I wanted to move into a cover. Now, this is one of my favorite covers. They've never played it live. It's a very strange song, originally by the very heavy... Um, intellectual drug addicts, the Blue Oyster Cult. This is a little song called Astromony. Astromony. <laughs> That's for later in the program. This is a little song called Astronomy.
clock strikes twelve and moon drops burst out at you from the hiding place. Miss Karen S and Susie Deal would find themselves at Four Winds Bar. It's a nexus of the crisis and the origin of storms. Just a place to hopelessly encounter time and then came me. That song is a fucking ride. And good God, who knows what it's about. That's some of the strangest lyrics I've ever read. I mentioned in a previous episode that I loved that song so much, and someone actually sent me like, oh, here's the meaning of that song. I was like, oh, cool. It was like a goddamn college essay, 100 pages long, all this mythology and folklore and this painting and suggestions within the painting Desanova, and there was all this stuff about a dog and shit. <laughs> like, whoo, I went from like being interested in what that song is about to not giving a shit. That's too much. That's too much. Oh, it's based off this book where this thing happened. Oh, okay, cool. Right on. No, you. <laughs> it felt like playing a Zelda game. Like, well, first you got to find the crystal, and then you be, the, the crystal illuminates the dark forest. 
and then you have to go into the dark forest and you have to find uh, 17 cauldrons. You have to release 13 birds from a tree. Now, those 13 birds each carry uh, a, a message, a little message in a bottle and a little bird neck to the, to the 14 kingdoms of uh, Hyrule. And you have to go into the Forbidden Meadow and pick the Forbidden Rose. <laughs> and you have to pluck your finger with it. And you have to do a drop of, blo- of, of pure, innocent virgin blood has to be dropped into the ocean that faced, faces east of the Dark Tower. Okay? You guys still with me? Now, after that, you have to uh, you have to ride into a desert on the back of a uh, of a of a black donkey, and you have to uh, you have to camp out for six days and seventeen nights, <laughs> and you have to make uh, soup out of cacti. Okay, you have to just boil it down. You just you take like you take like the rock stone thing, you put it in a stone bowl, and you just mush it. You just mush the cacti, okay? Because you have to make a cactus soup. And you have to drink it all before the light of dawn on the 14th night. All right? You guys with me? We're here. We're just in verse 1, by the way. <laughs> okay, I'm done with that bit. I, I can't continue that bit. Um, up next, I figured we'd give a little love to disc 2 of our beloved Hardwired to Self-Destruct. Amazing record. We've all come to love. Uh... This is a deep song and a very cool song, a song they haven't played yet, and then I'm hoping they debut in the North American Arena Tour at one of the five shows that I plan on going to. This is a song entitled Here Comes Revenge.
You ask forgiveness, I give you sweet revenge. And this time it's per- in a world where you ask forgiveness, I give you sweet revenge. And this time it's personal. One man, one shoe, one rocket, 13 pelicans, one monocle, and a nice little dish of revenge coming this September. That's a good song. Very interesting imagery. Sort of personifying revenge as an evil, ancient character that's always there. James has said that he wrote it for some friends of his whose kid was killed by a drunk driver. And the enlightened people of the world, the Buddhas, the Krishnas, the Jesuses, etc., they seem to have this idea that you got to forgive people and, you know, that loving your enemies is the enlightened path of self-realization, nirvana, etc. But let me tell you what's happening if you murder my kid in a car because you're a drunk, evil fuck. Um, if I don't kill you with my bare hands, if somehow that doesn't happen, I will not be forgiving you in this life or whatever happens next. No forgiveness for you, motherfucker. Revenge for you. Sweet revenge. Oh my goodness. I'm with you, James. You want forgiveness? I understand. You want me to help free you from the chains of guilt. You want me to absolve you. Well, the answer is no, you motherfucker. Anyway, moving right along here, the next song, one of my favorites, hotly, hotly debated song in the Metallica community, my friend Tom Quee over at Alpha Metallica Nilicans hates this song. And I don't think he's alone. I think a lot of people aren't sure what to make of it. It is a deep cut from my beloved third favorite Metallica record. Reload. It's a song I've loved since literally the first time I ever heard it, which I remember hearing it for the first time when the record came out. And it's a song I still listen to today. It's a little song called Carpe Diem, a baby.
Yes, sir. A lot of swagger. Some wonderful, wonderful drumming by Lars. Great fills. A lot of restraint playing back on that beat. Killer lyric. I love the, you know, hit dirt, shake tree, split sky, part C. Whatever that little uh, little kind of gimmick of the song that he landed on to cut the, to do the vocals that way. Um, Draw in this wine. I just love all that. It just works so well. It's so creepy and strange and the make me miss you stuff and wash your face away with dirt. Good God. I know that I know all about pizzas and slices and flavors. I invented that shit, but I don't get why people don't like it. I don't get it. You know, it's a mystery to me and I won't stop harping on it because pretty much every week we get emails saying that they're coming around to load and reload because of the enthusiasm of Ethan and I for these records. And as soon as those emails dry up, I'll let it go. But in the meantime, I just got to keep spreading the good word. The good word about Carpe Diem, baby. Have I said enough? Have we said enough on that? Let's listen to it again. You guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We won't do that. We will listen to a song that I've never heard a Metallica fan say they don't like. So this is my uh, olive branch, if you will, to everyone who rolled their eyes and or skipped that song and or quit listening to the show and or drove their car off of a cliff. This is my olive branch for you. It is a song called Dire Eve that I have affectionately titled in parentheses, Dear Mother, Dear Father Earth. Let's check it out.
lovely, touching song about family, about the unity and harmony of family life. Of course, we know that's not true. It's a scathing criticism of his parents keeping him in the dark. Ah, he says he's outgrown those fucking lullabies. That's a sad song. Very brutal, though. A really, really great example of the power and strength of Injustice for All. Short and sweet. Great Kirk solo. Great double bass stuff from Lars. Man, they're over there on the forums just going to war over the merits of our beloved Lars Ulrich. Is that really a conversation worth having anymore? Is Lars a good drummer? Are we... How many years and decades are we going to talk about that and debate it? I mean, it's fun, whatever. Talk about whatever you want. But I see it sometimes and I feel so tired. It makes me so tired. There are people in there saying that, well, Dire's Eve's not as hard as you think it is. You know, it's... <sighs> There's a lot of drummers over there, too. It's not hard for me. I <laughs> Look, I'm not saying I'm great or anything, but I can play it just fine. Do you? They're just arguing about what's hard and what's not and what's easy and who's good. And good God, don't talk about the Slayer's drummer anymore ever again. Please. <laughs> I'm begging you. Don't talk about Mike Portnoy anymore. I don't care. Mike Portnoy made some news because he was on our friend Ryan Downey's podcast, Speaking Destroy. And apparently, in an hour-long conversation of very praiseworthy things he said about Metallica, he made a boo-boo and said that he thought they made some bad records. He's talking about St. Anger and Lulu. And he actually says Load and Reload are bad records, too, which made me grumpy at him. Now, is he wrong? I don't think so. And are people focusing on the one negative thing he said? Yes. Yes, we know he's defended Lars. Yes, yes, yes. But at the same time... You're talking shit, dude. Don't. The, uh, you said it. You said it, motherfucker. Yeah, but out of a whole hour, they just picked the one thing. Well, of course they did. They were always going to. They will always do that, Mike Portnoy. Someone sent me a video the other day. It's Mike Portnoy and the, the Bumblefoot or whoever the fuck. The guy playing, that played for Guns N' Roses. He's this a virtuoso guitar player. He plays a weird guitar. And it's a video of them playing a song that's in a time signature, so confusing, that even someone like Mike Portnoy is struggling to figure out what's going on. And they're laughing, and it's a big fun thing. Guess how much interest I have in that music? 0.0 do you percent. It's fascinating for like two seconds, and then you're like, wait, what am, I, what am I doing with my time? I'd rather listen to Carpe Diem Baby 137,000 times in a row. If someone asked Mike Portnoy, is Lars a good drummer? Just stay out of it. It's complicated. Of course he's a great drummer. He is the Ringo star of metal. I don't know any songs of Mark, Mike Portnoy. I don't know any of their songs. Couldn't drum them to you. Couldn't sing them. Couldn't give a fuck. And I'm not alone in that. All right. 
We've got a few more here. We're having fun. I guess I'm getting a little grumpy. Maybe the, maybe I need a nap. Um, to change the flavor a little bit and move into some different territory, we're going to go live. We're going to go back to 1999, one of my favorite live records called S&M. Underappreciated song that I think perhaps even belongs in the short list of perhaps the heaviest Metallica songs ever. Sabbath True, The Thing That Should Not Be. Devil's Dance, Deal With It, Dream No More, and I submit to you, as the fifth in the top five heaviest Metallica songs of all time, Minus Human. Let's check it out.
Well, what you got to do now is breathe, man. Well, just breathe. We haven't heard from Pawpaw in a while. I know he's a big fan of Minus Human. It's one of his favorite songs. Uh, I heard a rumor that uh, he was available for some Poetry Corner stuff. So let's take a little trip with, uh, trip over to the Poetry Corner for some poetry with Pawpaw. Welcome back to the Poetry Corner. It's me, Poet Laureate of the Southern States, Paul Paul. Today I'm going to be reading from a poem titled uh, Crash Course in Brain Surgery. Look inside and you will see the words are cutting deep inside my brain. Thunder burning, quickly burning. Knife of words is driving me insane, insane. Raven Black is on my track. He shows me how to neutralize the knife. Show to me in surgery the art of fighting words to conquer life. Now the wicked lance of fear is driving from my heady mountain mush brain. Crash course in brain circuitry has stopped the bloody knife of words again. Well, thank you for stopping down at the poetry corner. We're in plum tickled to see you next time, see? And there you have it. Good to hear from Pawpaw again, as always. Thanks, Pawpaw. Really appreciate that. Our last song of the evening is another cover song. I figured I would, you know, split up the set in the middle with astronomy and and take us out with one of my favorite Metallica songs, not just covers of all time. A little song called When a Blind Man Cries. i 
Well, there you have it, folks. That was part one of Metal Up Your Podcast Radio. Uh, we want to send a lot of love out to our friend Ethan Luck. Couldn't be here. He's out there playing guitar for the people. He's in Chicago now. By the time you guys hear this, I don't know where he will be. He'll be out there somewhere. I'm out here seemingly forever throughout May and June. We want you to know we really do appreciate you guys who listen. And uh, if you haven't already, and if you wouldn't mind taking the time, head over to iTunes, leave us a positive review. Only takes a second. really helps us out. Go check out that Patreon. Consider getting on board at that level. We put everything we can back into the show to try to make it great for you guys, to try to give you guys good content, uh, to satiate your Metallica needs. And uh, we love hearing from you, so you're always welcome to write in to the show. Metal Up Your Podcast Show at gmail.com. We appreciate you guys bearing with us this week as we had some scheduling conflicts. I'm pretty sure we'll be back up and running next week to continue our 1986 series. We're going to be doing the third disc of Hardwired. We're going to be doing Lulu. We're going to be do- starting a series on gear. We've got some interesting cats coming up to be interviewed for the show. It's an exciting time. And uh, we do hope to see you all out on the road in the next month or two. So it's just me signing off here. The lonely co-host saying simply, peace. If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs>